This is Knesset Corner with Rabbi Dov Lippmann. I'm Scott Kahn. And Rabbi Lippmann, last week there was perhaps a trial balloon, perhaps something more real than that, in which we heard about President Trump's proposed peace plan. If it's real or not, we don't really know. But this peace plan included some interesting ideas. It talked about no evacuation of settlements, but it also included recognition of a Palestinian state. What are you hearing about this? The Knesset, uh, on a quiet level, but not so quiet when you're there, there's a flurry of activity about all of this because they're bracing themselves for an American plan and what that will mean. Let's remember, we have the Jewish Home Party, which will not have any part and will never vote in favor of a plan that allows for the establishment of a Palestinian state. We have Likud ministers that say outright they will not be part of that. And I'm not getting into right now uh, my own personal beliefs, right, wrong, or the other. It's just important to understand that we're on the verge of a possible American plan, which the Israeli government might reject or might not be in favor of. What does that mean in terms of the U.S.-Israel relationship? What does that mean about the coalition? Because the prime minister certainly understands the need to work with the Americans. So at what point does that create enough of a gap in the coalition where the government cannot continue over that issue? Because it sounds like the prime minister, at least in theory, is in favor of some sort of plan of this nature that Trump is suggesting. The prime minister came out years ago in a famous Bar Ilan speech and talked about two states. Now, again, many parties talk about two states. I'm part of a center party that talks about two states. The question is, what would be required of that state to protect Israel and provide for Israel's security before we even get to the creation of that state? So the prime minister has certainly come out in favor of the concept, and the question is what is necessary to get there. But in the prime minister's own party, in the Likud, there are sitting ministers who say under no circumstances will there ever be a Palestinian state. You certainly have coalition partners that say under no conditions will there be a Palestinian state. So the question is what happens when this Israel-friendly, quote-unquote, right-wing-friendly U.S. government comes out with a formal plan to work towards a Palestinian state, what happens at that point? And and the truth is, I can't answer that question, but there's a certain below-the-surface feeling in the Knesset of something somewhere soon is about to boil over and and things could really fall apart. So it sounds like you're almost saying the Likud itself contains an internal contradiction, meaning almost two separate factions within a single party. There's no doubt that the Likud party right now has two different factions within it. Uh, one which is far more extreme on the security issues, and then some other issues as well, which we might talk about in a few moments, and another part which is sort of the more moderate Likud of, you know, we're celebrating this week 40 years since Anwar Sadat came to Israel and, and, and essentially made peace with Israel. There are people who still feel that that was a colossal mistake. So Likud has always had different, different camps. I think right now that gap is much stronger than ever before. But another thing that you mentioned to me before we broadcast going on behind the scenes, the new laws with the comptor and the police, I don't really know what's going on. Can you tell me? There have been a series of really strange pieces of legislation that have come forward from this coalition over the last few weeks that seem to chip away at certain institutions which we always saw as necessary for an orderly and civilized uh, society. So, for example, this law that was put forth that the police, after they finish an investigation, they don't make a public recommendation to the prosecutors at all. That information is kept quiet, given over to the prosecutors. There's no recommendation that's made, and the prosecutors go through all of the evidence that's In been developed. In any case? That seems to be the legislation. It gets strange. Like, why? What's well, the logic behind all of this? Well, <laughs> Obviously, it's hard there's for something me. going yeah. on. Yeah, uh, many people, and, and not 
from some kind of a cynical camp, are saying that the goal was to protect the prime minister in this case, because we're on the verge of the police finishing up their investigations on two of the cases out of three cases that are against him. And if they come out with a recommendation, which is to indict, that puts the prime minister in serious jeopardy in terms of the public, because the public might uh, look over all these investigations until there's a recommendation for an indictment. But once that recommendation is there, there might be real public pressure. So many people felt that was to circumvent that. Uh, there's another piece of legislation trying to strip the comptroller of, of his power. I mean, one of the interesting elements of the Israeli government and the Israeli system is that you have a comptroller who actually issues reports from a neutral place against the Who appoints the comptroller? The, the prime minister. This is also important, by the way. The prime minister appointed the police commissioner, the attorney general, and the comptroller. So there's no left-wing conspiracy against the prime minister, as many suggest. These are all people who have been appointed by the prime minister, and their job, in this case the comptroller, is to be a neutral observer who gives constructive criticism to make things better. And the idea of stripping that body of its powers sounds like there are people the government who don't want comptroller reports to come out about X, Y, or Z. Well, what's the comptroller's power per se? I thought he gives reports. Correct. There's, there's no punitive powers. It's, it's a report, which obviously... It's a public report. A public report, which obviously influences public opinion. There's a comptroller's committee in the Knesset, which, which can take it further and flesh things out even further. And it does certainly stir up significant debate. But correct, there's no teeth in the sense of that he can actually sanction uh, or the like. But just the public information and the public discussion is something which it seems like certain people are trying to go against. Now, I want to mention, there are Likud ministers who are in the traditional Likud camp who say, what is going on over here? What do you mean by the traditional Likud camp? Of a... Uh, More pragmatic? Pragmatic, but open, sort of a liberal democratic party, as they describe themselves, uh, where the state institutions are critical towards the democracy. So you'll have the public security minister, Gilad Erdan, who says there's no way the law about the police uh, is going to pass in its current format. You have Minister Gilad Gamliel, who came out and said there's no way this comptroller's law can be passed. But you have this tension, both within the Likud and the coalition, over these issues, where you just feel that there's some kind of an attempt to subvert uh, the regular democratic institutions and almost institute a dictatorship of sorts, uh, which is foreign to what Israel is supposed to be. Now, wait a second. If indeed these laws are designed to protect Prime Minister Netanyahu, bottom line is that his Likud faction is only about a quarter of the Knesset, and parties that are not his own, why would they vote for this? Even if so, he can get the entire Likud to vote for it. Right. So this is where coalition politics comes into place. And it could be that it will take a mature adult, so to speak, uh, to step up and say, we will not let this happen. So Kahlon's party, for example, Kulanu, has very much played that role in some of these laws. Despite Avig being in the coalition. Correct. Avigdor Lieberman's party, Israel Beitenu, came out and said that they're not going to support certainly the comptroller's laws. So you do have coalition partners that are flexing their muscles and saying, we won't let it happen. The question is, when it comes down to that moment where the vote has to happen, what will they vote? Will they support the coalition or not? Will they suggest that they would pull out if this law would pass? Exactly at what, at what point is the breaking point of the coalition over these issues? And if they refuse to vote for this particular law, would it mean the end of the coalition? So the prime minister has to make a decision and say, is this worthwhile to fire ministers over or not? My guess is it's worthwhile to call his bluff on these issues, and I don't think he would fire ministers over this issue. Although I will tell you, 
There are many, many in the political sphere in the Knesset today that are saying, even people close to the prime minister, that he is trying to find any issue to go to elections over. Really? And as long as he can justify the elections. So it could be, again, I'm not saying it'll be these laws, but there is an attempt being found to find that source of friction to enable the government to fall apart. Why does he want the government to fall apart? So this leads to the issue of the prime minister and his investigations. Uh, there's three investigations right now, two that relate to the prime minister directly and one indirectly. What I mean by that is the prime minister has been interrogated six times over cases 1,000 and 2,000, not at all about 3,000. He has not been announced at all as a suspect in case 3,000, although the two closest people to the prime minister who he consults with on a regular basis have been uh, investigated. And that's why his name is associated with 3,000. Associated with it, correct. But on on cases 1,000 and 2,000, which started out as, oh, it's just about some champagne, oh, it's just about some cigars, oh, it's just about negotiating a newspaper, there seems to be a real basis of evidence for indictment of real corruption and real bribery involved. That goes beyond those cases of, sh- of champagne, etc.? No, but, but if a person gets hundreds of thousands of shekel worth of champagne and in return for that they give people favors and do things that other people can't get, that is bribery and that is corruption. If it's true that these weren't just gifts from friends, but that the prime minister and his wife actually ordered these gifts, then it becomes a much more serious What do you offense. mean ordered these gifts? Calling up and saying, we want X number of boxes of champagne delivered to our house. In exchange in for exchange. whatever. And again, everything I'm saying right now is hearsay and, and leaks that are coming from these investigations. But if those allegations and stories are true, then there's a likelihood that within the next few weeks, next few weeks, the police will recommend an indictment. At that point, the attorney general's office takes over, and they can take their time in deciding whether to indict or not. Even after they indict, a prime minister does not have to step down over an indictment. A regular minister does. The prime minister doesn't. And I understand that rule. As a rule, he doesn't have to step down because you don't want the government to necessarily Has this ever happened before? Prime Minister uh, Olmert didn't have an indictment. He stepped down before that. Has there ever been a sitting prime minister who was indicted in office? No, hasn't happened. But even if it does happen he doesn't have to step down until he's actually convicted in court. So there are many who are saying the prime minister is looking for the right moment and issue to call elections so that he comes with a mandate of the people saying, we don't care about these investigations. We don't care even about an indictment. You're our prime minister. And then he can at least survive through the court case, through the hearing, till there's either a conviction or an acquittal. By the way, the prime minister is also given an extra hearing after an indictment before a court case starts again, where he has one last attempt to make his case. And that's something which is different than the average citizen, again, in an attempt to preserve a government and not have elections over any issue that comes up. But I will say, in my own personal opinion, that once we're talking about corruption and bribery, I believe those are issues that a government should fall over and a prime minister should not continue over. And again, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope our prime minister is not guilty of these crimes. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want our country to have to deal with that. But if it is in fact true, then I do believe that is a critical issue that you do go to elections over. Over because the people deserve a prime minister and a government which is devoid of bribery and corruption. I do hope, though, that if there are elections over this issue, that people will analyze what can we do to make sure that we don't have this problem again and that we actually do take steps to stop corruption in the government. Interesting times. Thank you. I'm Scott Conrath, Rabbi Dov Lippman. You've been listening to Knesset Corner.